0: I got David Johnson, yes, yes, yes. I don't know what the hell my opponents were thinking or not thinking, I don't know where they were, what rock they were asleep under, but David Johnson was available in leagues guys and I got him in some leagues, not in others. I am in some leagues where people actually pay attention and some owners have some brain cells And they could put two and two together and realize, oh, David Johnson is going to be incredible the rest of the year. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, Wow. But I'm in other leagues where people just had checked out. There are playoff teams, and the stakes are the championship of the league, and yet didn't put a claim in for David Johnson. Wake up, people! It's not even that long of a season! It's not like a baseball season where, oh, this is a six-month season. It's just a grind. I just forgot. There's just so many weeks, and they pile up, and I just can't stay focused. And I'm sorry, I didn't check the waiver wire this week. It's just that I've had a lot going on at work, and I just couldn't do it. We're in month five of the season. Okay, I understand that. You missed a waiver period in fantasy baseball. Understood. It's fantasy football. If you make it to the Super Bowl in fantasy football... That's a maximum of four months of a commitment to a game. That's not a lot of time. And you have to log in twice during the week. Once to submit your claims and once to set your lineup. That's it. Those are the two times you have to log in. I mean, you can check your scores on your phone, whatever. But some people feel compelled to log in to submit their free agent claims and to set their lineups. Even though you don't have to anymore with these mobile apps that are great. Either way. You log in twice a week, at most 16 times in a year. Most of you aren't even logging in 16 times. Most of you, your season's over after 12 weeks. That's a short amount of time. That's a short fantasy season. How are you not submitting a bid for David Johnson? My God, man. Wake up. Be competitive. Ah! Imagine if you were co-owning a team with Dan Campbell from the Miami Dolphins. You would be focused every morning. Waking up, logging in, checking the waiver wire, submitting reports. Yes, you would be motivated. Because if you didn't submit a claim for David Johnson, you would be doing 100 push-ups. That's right. You're lucky that you're not co-owning a team with Dan Campbell, Mr. I-forgot-to-submit-a-claim-for-David-Johnson. And he fell to Matt Kelly, whose team is so stacked. Because I pay attention. It's not hard to pay attention. All I do is just pay attention. If you listen to this show, you know I don't have a magical elixir. Or I don't have a crystal ball, and I know who is going to be the top scorer in fantasy every week. No, I've made some incredibly wrong predictions about player performance this year, both for the whole season and on a week-to-week basis. I've been very wrong very often. But when a player presents himself as David Johnson has presented himself, then I know to go into all my leagues and submit claims. It's just not hard. And I'm in a lot of leagues. Most of you that I'm competing with, you're in one or two leagues. I'm in like 10, and I have more attention to detail than you do. Get better. Yeah, get better. Yeah. Push-ups. Intensity. Yes. (laughs) But no one has been as obvious to pick up as David Johnson has all year. I mean, David Johnson is near the top of the league in size-adjusted athleticism. He plays for one of the league's most efficient offenses, and he projects to absorb the majority of high-leverage touches in a true workhorse role. Catching the ball out of the backfield, red zone carries, all those high-leverage touches we thirst for in our fantasy running backs, David Johnson is going to deliver this week and potentially for the rest of the season. And because intrinsically in a vacuum, David Johnson is one of the most athletic, talented running backs in the NFL, David Johnson's ceiling is the number one running back in all of fantasy the rest of the season. That's what I said yesterday in the Football Die Hard show, and every morning I wake up, I feel more entrenched in this position, more comfortable, more confident in this opinion. So get David Johnson. So we're setting our waiver wire orders, we're setting our priorities this week, get David David Johnson find a way if you can't get David Johnson try to get Sean drone this is Sean Drone's snap share the last three weeks 67 percent 91 percent 100 percent Sean drone was the rare running back we've seen in the NFL to never leave the field not once that's what a 100 percent snap share means he never left the field for an offensive play never And he leads the San Francisco 49ers in targets since Blaine Gabbard took over as quarterback with 21 targets. Yet his fantasy production hasn't been in that RB1 echelon. Not yet, which makes him highly attainable. He is still available on waiver wire, so you need to get him based on his role in the offense. If you know nothing else about him, just know that he is... Absorbing huge volume. It doesn't matter that they have a bottom five offensive system. An inefficient offense. It doesn't matter that he's not a fraction as talented as David Johnson. It doesn't matter. Playing that role, you are instantly fantasy relevant. You are an insta-RB2 playing a 100% snap share, leading your team in targets. You could score zero touchdowns and it doesn't matter. You'll be an RB, two just based on receptions, receiving yards, and rushing yards. So if you can't get David Johnson, try to get Sean Drone. And if you can't get Sean Drone, try to get Amir Abdullah. Now, Amir Abdullah is more talented than Sean Drone, but he actually plays on a team that might have an even worse run-blocking offensive line than San Francisco, and that's hard to do, but Detroit's trying to do that. And Amir Abdullah isn't absorbing all of the running back touches. Joyke Bell is still there, sadly, getting goal line work. Theo Riddick is still there as the passing down specialist. So while Amir Abdullah is significantly more talented than Sean Drone, just more ability, more athletic, Sean Drone's role in the offense makes him more attractive. It's counterintuitive. But I still like Amir Abdullah. He's a good pickup because he's slowly getting more comfortable with the offense. You can see things slowing down for him, and that's a good thing. He's starting to let his instincts and his athleticism take over, and he's not as worried about fumbling the ball. That's what happens. Coaches, they love to destroy young players' confidence. When did this coaching tactic get invented? Can we go back in time in a time machine and destroy this coaching tactic before it was ever implemented so that no coaches have ever in the history of the world, in the present, and in the future think that it's a good idea to bench a player after he fumbles, to totally annihilate his confidence after a fumble? essentially increasing the odds that the next time you put him out there, he is going to fumble because he's going to be thinking about it. And he's not going to be thinking about running past a defender and then the defender that he's not thinking about because he's thinking about holding to the ball is actually going to smash into his back and punch the ball out anyway because that's what happens when players start to overthink it. That's what happens when players are demoralized. So maybe we can reverse this trend. Maybe we can start showing confidence in young players when they fumble. Put them back out there? Opt to not annihilate their confidence? I mean, it's hard to find a more asinine coaching tactic than, I'm going to bench and destroy a young player's confidence after he makes a mistake. How is that a good idea? How is that in any way rational? Who thinks that makes sense? Yes, because he was trying to fumble the ball. Yes. But even though Detroit tried to punish Amir Abdullah for his fumbles, he persevered. And now he's... Strung together a series of weeks without turnovers. And the coaching staff has been forced to to realize, wow, maybe he's not so mistake-prone. Maybe we shouldn't have benched him so quickly. Or maybe, actually, maybe, well, the coaches are all different in Detroit except for the head coach, Jim Caldwell. But maybe what's actually happening is they think that they solved the fumbling problem. Yep, we did it! You can see them in the coaching staff, in the coaching room, right? Yep, yeah, we did it! We fixed Amir Abdullah's fumbling problem! That benching worked. Yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, right. Tell me another one. Didn't work. Amir Abdullah has put it on his own shoulders to persevere through this adversity. And in the process, you can see it. He is getting more comfortable. And his instincts and his athleticism are taking over. And it's, it's a pleasure to watch him now, again. And he's gained the coach's trust, again, by not fumbling. And then last week, in Week 12, he set a career high for carries in a game. In Amir Abdullah's schedule, the rest of the way includes Green Bay, St. Louis, New Orleans, San Francisco, and Chicago. Through Week 16, he faces three of the four defenses are below average against against fantasy running backs. So he faces three friendly defenses through Week 16. So I like Amir Abdullah because his touches are going up. He himself, in a vacuum, is a talented player, and he has a friendly schedule upcoming. Now, at the wide receiver position, I really like Dontrell Inman. And I see a lot of stats about how Steve Johnson's targets have increased since Keenan Allen was injured. And, of course, because Keenan Allen was getting over 10 targets a game, those targets have to go to someone. Antonio Gates is playing hurt. Ladarius Green has been out. Malcolm Floyd has been out. He's trying to play through a torn labrum, but that's just... It's not realistic that Malcolm Floyd is going to be a contributor this year playing through that injury. So who's left? Well, Steve Johnson's left, so of course he's going to have a huge target spike. But what I don't see as much about is Dontrell Inman because Dontrell Inman and Steve Johnson have very similar skill sets and now they're splitting the lead receiver duties. It's not straightforward to say Steve Johnson is the number one receiver in San Diego. I don't think it's that clear cut. Last week... Steve Johnson had 10 targets. Dontrell Inman had nine. And Dontrell Inman scored more fantasy points. And so with every other wide receiver and tight end on the Chargers team hurt or injured, Dontrell Inman and Steve Johnson are going to dominate the targets the rest of the way. It's just that Dontrell Inman is much less expensive to acquire because he's not the no-name brand that Steve Johnson is. So if I'm going to go out and target a wide receiver... This week on the waiver wire, it's going to be Dontrell Inman. And right after him is going to be Nate Washington. Nate Washington had a down week. Cecil Shorts caught a touchdown. Nate Washington did not. But Nate Washington is still out snapping Cecil Shorts. But because of this down week and because Nate Washington doesn't exactly have great brand equity, when you say the word Nate Washington and we play word association with a fantasy gamer, when you say Nate Washington, fantasy gamers don't go, Oh, elite receiver. Oh, wide receiver two in fantasy. Oh, guy that'll help me win a championship. No, people don't think that. So because of that, he is going to hit some waiver wires this week. I will remind you that he has been a productive starter for most of the season, and the Texans still lead the league in plays per game. That is just a huge, high-volume offense. They can't run the ball. They know they can't run the ball. They had a modicum of success running the ball last week, but that was an anomaly. The Texans know they can't run the ball, so they have to pass. When you have to pass, you take less time off the clock, and it increases the volume, the number of plays that both teams can run if you're constantly stopping the clock. That's why the Texans have run so many plays this year, and that's not going to change just because Alfred Blue had one good game out of 16. So I believe that Nate Washington, as the starting receiver opposite DeAndre Hopkins, is going to be a volatile fantasy WR2, WR3 the rest of the way. And that's a player you should be picking up and and flexing on your fantasy teams. I also like Devontae Parker. Now, I ranked Devontae Parker the number two wide receiver talent in the 2015 wide receiver class behind only Amari Cooper. And he hasn't developed this year. He had a broken foot. He missed all of training camp and preseason. And what we're hearing from the people that cover the Miami Dolphins is that he's not 100%. He won't be 100% until next year. That's why Rashard Matthews has been the starting receiver opposite Jarvis Landry this year, not Devontae Parker. But Rashard Matthews is out indefinitely with fractured ribs. And the Dolphins are soon to be eliminated from the playoffs. And they will continue to play Devontae Parker the rest of the season. I think they'll play him heavy snaps. And even once Matthews returns in a week or two, by that time, because the Dolphins will be out of contention, I believe that they will continue to start Devonte Parker so they can see what they have and they can evaluate him and give him the experience that he needs to help make the leap next year. So I'm cautiously optimistic that Devontae Parker will be a fantasy contributor the rest of the way because intrinsically, he looks like the next AJ Green. So if you have that playmaker profile, I am going to take a shot on you. I'm going to take a flyer on you. I'm going to put you on my bench this week. See how many snaps you get. See how many targets you get. And then go from there thinking that there is a chance that you could be a true asset as the fantasy playoffs roll on. I want to talk about the Dolphins because the Dolphins have become quietly. This has been quiet. I mean, I have been out here mocking Dan Campbell for weeks because I am highly skeptical of the guy that comes in with a tough guy routine. We are going to out-intensity them. Yes, yes. We're going to be tougher. Yes. I question the effectiveness of that coaching philosophy at the college level. There's no way it can work at the professional level. It it always fails. The tough guy coaches often flame out, and they flame out very quickly. But the Dolphins, just the, the bigger picture on the Dolphins, that franchise has quietly become a laughingstock. I suggest you go read an article that was recently written in the Miami Herald by Armando Salguero. Because in that article, he writes that the player personnel people in Miami, they continue to believe. And this is unbelievable, but it's true. He he wrote it. I mean, he has sources. I believe him. I believe his sources. He is a professional journalist with the Miami Herald. He's a well-respected guy. I don't believe he's making this up. But it's so hard to believe that you would think that he's making it up, that Armando Salguero is just making it up. But it's true. Player personnel people. In the Dolphins front office, actually believe this is true. Now, this is true. They actually believe that Ryan Tannehill can develop into an elite quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. They do. They do. But the coaching staff, Bill Lazer, who has since been fired since the article came out, Bill Lazer and others on the offensive side of the ball, among the coaches, They believe that Ryan Tannehill is a game manager, and that's all he'll ever be. That's his ceiling. And I agree with them because, of course, everyone that watches Ryan Tannehill or is familiar with Ryan Tannehill's advanced metrics, and you should go to playerprofiler.com and check out Ryan Tannehill to learn more about his advanced metrics. We all know that Ryan Tannehill is a game manager. He is the second coming of Alex Smith. He looks like Alex Smith. He plays like Alex Smith. He's the next Alex Smith. I don't think this is up for dispute. I don't think people that watch football or are familiar with just the, the broader landscape of the NFL, very few people would question this. I just think there's a handful of diehards in the Miami front office that still believe that Ryan Tannehill will ascend to this elite level, this Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger echelon, and it's never going to happen. But it's amazing, though. It's amazing that still today, and Ryan Tannehill has been in the league over four years. This is not a this is not a quick project. This is not a second year player. He's been in the league a long time. He came into the league with Andrew Luck. Ryan Tannehill did, and still there is stark disagreement about their franchise quarterback within the organization. That's unbelievable to me that there would still be complete polar opposite opinions about the most important player at the most important position at a hyper-critical juncture in the franchise's future, at this very moment in time, for there to be polar opposite opinions about that critical piece of the puzzle is mind-blowing. When do you ever see that? When do you ever see one sector of the franchise believing that they have a franchise elite, Philip Rivers quality quarterback on their hands and another group of people in the franchise that have a different role that actually have a role where they see the player on a more frequent basis where they're more familiarized with that player's capability those people believe they have an alex smith level talent that's a chasm of difference of opinion after four years you just never see that when do you see that contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or rotounderworld at gmail.com. Let me know. When have you ever seen that? I was trying to think back if I've ever heard of this phenomenon with a franchise, and I haven't. So when do you see it? Well, I know when you see it. You see it when you have a completely incompetently managed franchise. That's when you see this happen. A franchise that would hired Dan Campbell as its interim head coach. Dan Campbell was the tight ends coach. And they said, yeah, you're the, you're the head coach now. We just promoted you. We, you just skipped five rungs on the ladder because you exude toughness in an interview. That's the kind of decision-making that we're seeing in Miami. If you think about Ryan Tannehill and you look at Ryan Tannehill's contract, it is interesting that if Ryan Tannehill is cut after next season, after the 2016 season, then Miami will incur a $6.9 million cap charge. But because he's due close to $18 million, it would save them $11 million, quote-unquote save the franchise $11 million after next season if they were to cut Ryan Tannehill. If they cut him after the 2017 season, the cap charge is only $4.6 million, and then they save, quote-unquote, of course with the quote-unquote, I have to do the quote-unquote because it's not really saving. They're still losing a quarterback that's valuable. Anyway, it would be a net gain of $12.9 million if they cut Ryan Tannehill after the 2017 season. So if Miami decides that Ryan Tannehill is not the answer, they have a lever to pull, and I think they should. I don't believe that it's a good idea. It's in the best interest of a franchise to willingly accept quarterback purgatory because that's what they're looking at. They're staring in the face of Ryan Tannehill. They have opened the gates, and if you open the gates, it's just darkness. It's the purgatory that is the franchise's future if they continue to start Ryan Tannehill this year, next year, the year after. You are volunteering to become the Kansas City Chiefs who will never win a Super Bowl because Alex Smith is not capable of winning a Super Bowl. He's not Joe Flacco. You need to be at least Joe Flacco to win a Super Bowl if you're not going to have the best defense of a decade. What are the odds of having the best defense of a decade? Well, if there's 32 teams, 10 years, then the chances of having the best defense in a decade, do the math. A 1 in 320 chance. So yes, if you have Alex Smith or you have Trent Dilfer, you have a 1 in 320 chance of winning a Super Bowl that decade. Do you like those odds? Do you like 1 in 320, those good odds? Or would you rather shed the contract, shed the player, go in a different direction, hope to sign a Drew Brees-level talent? Because once in a while, a Carson Palmer or a Drew Brees is available in free agency. Target one of those quarterbacks or try to draft a quarterback. Just two years ago, Derek Carr was available in the second round. Miami could have drafted him, and they didn't. They went in another direction because they already had Ryan Tannehill, and they wanted to see what Ryan Tannehill was instead of drafting Derek Carr. And the Chiefs continue to pass on quarterbacks. They have Alex Smith under contract. They are committed to Alex Smith. They are going to ride that Alex Smith roller coaster as far as it goes and the alex smith roller coaster is a ride that never comes to its conclusion the alex smith roller coaster goes up over one of the rises goes down into the valley but doesn't have enough speed to get back up over the next hump and then eventually it just goes up and back up and back and the roller coaster just loses momentum every time it goes up it goes up a little slower and it comes back a little slower Then it goes back up a little slower. Then it goes back a little slower. Then it goes back up a little slower. Then it goes back down a little slower. And then soon, the roller coaster is sitting idle in a valley. And then the next roller coaster comes down the tracks and BAM! It smashes it! Because eventually, the Chiefs are going to have to blow up that franchise and start over again. Because they never had a chance with Alex Smith. Well, yes, they had a chance. I'm sorry for the record. Yes, Trent Dilfer, people. Yes, I understand. They have a chance. A 1 in 320 chance. Yes, I get that. Yes. They have a chance. I'm sorry. A very slim chance. <laughs> 1 in 320 chance. Yes, I get it. That's really no chance, though, is it? That's no chance. We know that's no chance. Come on. But I think that Miami is going to hold on to Ryan Tannell. I think they're going to they're keep putting him out there in 2016, 2017. Because that's an incompetent franchise. That's the franchise that hired Dan Campbell. Remember this. Remember, Dan Campbell came in to the first press conference, snorting fire, smoke billowing from his ears. Remember? He said, I want us to pull the trigger. They asked him, oh, Dan, what's your coaching philosophy? I I want us to pull the trigger. I don't want us playing conservative. I don't want us playing scared. I don't want us playing on our heels. I want us playing on our toes. Because that's the thing. When I watched Miami on tape, I did notice that all the players were playing on their heels. You ever walked like a, like a duck on your heels? I noticed that all the Miami players were walking on their heels when Joe Philbin was the coach. And then, after Dan Campbell took over, then all of a sudden I noticed it was a complete reversal. They all started to put their weight on their toes. After he said this in this press conference, he said, I don't want us playing on our heels. I want us playing on our toes. Genius. This, smart. this guy. How did no other coach come up with this before? He's the first one to walk into that Dolphins facility and go, Hey, everybody. Hey, guys. You're walking on your heels. Get on your toes. What are you doing? God. This coaching thing is easy. Yeah. Then he said, I want us to go forward. Yes, forward. Not backwards. No, 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 no. We're going forward. Yeah. This is the best part. We're going forward. We're going through you. Yeah, we're going through you. That's our mentality. Yeah, yeah. This guy, what a dick. You can tell I really despise the tough guy coach shtick. I really do. It just bothers me. Clearly, I'm bothered by it. I do not like him. But this is the thing that gets me. This is the beautiful part. Of the Dan Campbell story arc. This is my favorite part. My favorite chapter. In the Dan Campbell story. In week 12. Miami. Ran the ball nine times. For 12 yards. (laughs) Right? I mean. What? How perfect is that? He said we're going to be moving forward. We're going to be running through you. We're going to be running for 12 yards on nine carries. And you would think that when these things happen, they would once and for all destroy these nonsense coaching narratives that I get inundated with. Oh, this new coach with this new philosophy. Everyone has a new mentality. The players are inspired. Everyone's walking around a little bit differently in the facility now. They believe. It's like... Sports analysts say those words. They write them down in articles and columns they do you hear and read them every day and it's just gibberish how many years were we treated to the chip kelly is a genius narrative and they lost to the detroit lions on thanksgiving 45 to 14 the three and seven lions destroyed the philadelphia eagles on network television with everyone watching chip kelly the genius and the best part is You would think if you're a a play-calling genius, because that's the one thing that Chip Kelly had coming into the league, that everyone knew, the calling card of Chip Kelly, play-calling genius. And what an indictment it is to hear the Detroit Lions players come out and say, yeah, we knew what plays were coming. When we see that formation, we know what they're going to do next. They only have a handful of plays that they run, just like Oregon. It's the Oregon offense, same formation, just a couple variations. And they said, "We, we knew what they were doing the whole time. It was like a gimmick. Like, yeah, that's the Oregon offense. It's a gimmick offense. That's what happens when these college coaches come to the NFL. When they hired Chip Kelly, I said, how is this different than Steve Spurrier? And it's not different. It's the same story every time. And in every time, you all fall for it. The sports media falls for it. The gullible sports fans fall for it. They do. They fell for Dan Campbell. Oh, the media was fawning around Dan Campbell. Oh, the hope was palpable around Miami after... Dan Campbell came into the building, and they blew out the Houston Texans. Ooh, impressive. In London, yes. Great win for the resume there. Mark Tressman this year. What has he done for his running backs? Are the Is the Baltimore Ravens running game, is that supporting an RB1 in fantasy like people said it would? No, it's not. Norv Turner and Mike Wallace. Remember Norv Turner, the vertical passing game that was supposed to be a perfect fit for Mike Wallace? Mike Wallace has been the second worst receiver in the league. Because no one's been worse than Devontae Adams. We talked about this on yesterday's Die Hard show for 30 minutes. I'm not going to devolve into more Devontae Adams talk. I'm done. The Devontae Adams category is closed for the sake of this podcast. But if, if you can't have Devontae Adams, if you can't mock Devontae Adams, then at least you can mock Mike Wallace. Norv Turner was supposed to rejuvenate Mike Wallace because Mike Wallace was such a perfect fit for that Norv Turner system. Remember the system? The Chip Kelly system? The Norv Turner system? The Dan Campbell philosophy? Philosophies and systems? How much do you hear about this every day on every sports media platform? Mike Wallace has a negative 21.4 production premium on PlayerProfiler.com. That's 87th in the league. Negative 19.7 target premium, 84th in the league, and yet they continue to play him over Charles Johnson. Why? I do not know! So Norv Turner is not only getting nothing out of Mike Wallace, but he's continuing to play him, so he's exacerbating the problem. He's doubling down on the problem that is Mike Wallace. So is that good coaching? No, that's the worst kind of coaching. You're not getting anything out of the player, and then you're not making the personnel change to improve the situation. So that's the definition of incompetent coaching by Norv Turner. But I was told that Norv Turner would help Mike Wallace. I was told this! That Norv Turner is an offensive genius. I've heard this. He's a mastermind. Norv Turner the mastermind. We've heard this. we heard this about Chip Kelly. The genius mastermind. It's all just nonsense. You know whose team's playing really well? Who's the second longest tenured coach in the league after Bill Belichick? That no one ever talks about? Marvin Lewis. What's Marvin Lewis's philosophy? Do you know? I don't know. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter. Or email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com. What is Marvin Lewis's philosophy? What is Marvin Lewis's calling card? How does Marvin Lewis help defenses? How does Marvin Lewis help offenses? What are his signature tactics that help teams win? I don't know. I just think he's a good manager of people. And when you're a good manager of people and you have the trust of the organization and you don't feel like you are going to be fired tomorrow if your team underperforms, then you can, then you are put in a position to do your job well. It's just that most coaches aren't put in that position. So they coach desperately. They coach scared. As you saw with Cleveland, we're going to go for two. We're going to win the game. Oh, no, let's just kick the field goal and go to overtime. More coaches would coach like John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin if they didn't feel like they were going to be fired tomorrow if the team underperformed. But it's that specter of, of being fired, this constant turnover of the coaching staff, with the front office always looking for the next genius, the next guy with the philosophy that's going to help his players run through walls. It's this living under the constant threat that they are going to tear it all down and try to build it all back up again, leads these coaches down this road of coaching paralyzed irrationally risk-averse. So in Monday night's game, when you're watching the Ravens go for it on fourth and short in their own territory, it's just the right thing to do, but it feels so good to watch someone do something rational that the sports broadcasters disagree with because the sports broadcasters don't understand win probability. So while the Monday night game wasn't a good game, it wasn't necessarily entertaining on paper, Those two teams were not playoff contenders. It was a refreshing game to watch. I enjoyed watching it immensely. Of course, exciting finish, a field goal, returned for a touchdown the other way. You're not going to find a much better finish than that in the NFL this year. But there were a lot of moments in that game that I marveled at, that I laughed at. I just enjoyed the game. We're going for two! We're going to win! Kick! But I think Dan Campbell is going to be running scared the rest of the season. It's going to be interesting to watch Dan Campbell coach scared in Miami, knowing that he's about to be fired because they're they're picking off one coach at a time. Right? Joe Philbin, cut. Bill Laser, bing. It's every other week a new coach gets the guillotine. There's a guillotine. Do we say guillotine in this country or do we use the French pronunciation? Is it guillotine or guillotine? Contact the show at Roto Underworld or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. And that's a great way to end the show. Is it guillotine or guillotine?